0: Of all ages. Welcome to Bulls on Tap. I am your boy Buzz and as always I'm joined by my dude Goose aka Bulls and we are here with another episode of Bulls on Tap. It's going to be a special episode man. We have Kevin Anderson from NBC Sports Chicago joining us here today to talk some last dance, talk some tourist Carnage. I'm going to butcher it. I'm just going to say AK. We're going to talk some AK. We're going to talk the Jerry Reinsdorf wanting to retain Jim Boylan news. We're going to talk about the roster. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff so stay tuned in. Be sure you're going to OnTapSportsNet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Checking us out on Twitter, at BullsOnTap, at OnTapSportsNet, following my dude Goose at Bullscripted, and following me at BuzzOnTap. So strap back, get ready, it's going to be a good episode. We are joined by our guest, Kevin Anderson from NBC Sports Chicago and the Bulls Talk Podcast. He's here to talk some bulls with me and Goose here today. Kevin, how are you, man?
1: I'm good. I'm good. So we're not doing the all Star Wars episode, correct? I would, that was kind of, I was crossing my fingers hoping we are doing that, but I guess not.
0: Well, I, I think that I'm going to have to actually, you know, watch them. And I think that you've motivated me now that I, you know, I, I like you, man. I talk to you all the time. So I was like, man, you know, Kevin's a big Star Wars guy. I mean, maybe I should I should try to watch these movies. So maybe after the podcast or even during it, you're going to have to give me the list of the order I need to watch them in.
1: Yeah, because there is a very specific order. Like, you can't watch it. Like, I'd say don't watch it chronologically. So, yeah, we'll get, we'll get to that. But uh, I'm happy to talk Bulls. We can talk anything about the NBA. I mean, I miss basketball. I mean, I really, really, I'm sure as you guys do, like, would love to see the league come back here in the next month or so, even if it's with no fans, even if it's in some modified practice gym. I would love to see some basketball here soon.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm definitely Jonesing for basketball. I I, I miss it, man. It's like my favorite sport. You know, between that and baseball, I it, it's so hard. I never know how to choose my favorite sport because I have you know I have Bulls season ticks, I got Bears season ticks, and I'm always at you know White Sox games. But I just I miss basketball, and I know the Bulls weren't very good. Uh, during the regular season, but once it's gone, you really, truly appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Like, I mean, uh, you know, yeah, they were on pace to win 25 games or 26 games, have a win total in the twenties for the third year in a row. Like that's, that's tough. It's tough. And I'm sure we'll get to that dynamic, but when you don't have basketball, especially like, it's one thing to kind of wrap your head around, all right, we're not going to have basketball every year, whether it's the bulls and NBA, you know we've got summer league in july to kind of tide us over and then certainly august is a completely dead month and then you've got training camp at the end of september and then preseason games in october etc but when you wrap your head around you expect not to have basketball during that time all of a sudden for most of the entire month of march april may and then what possibly is looking like at least june to not have basketball during that time frame is is, is tough and it's not just basketball certainly it's Sports in general, and certainly everyone's lives have been upended over the last uh, two plus months. So, but for the small like piece of, of not having basketball as a
2: as a huge basketball junkie, it's been difficult.
0: Oh, absolutely, Goose. What have you been doing to keep yourself busy, man?
2: I've been painting my entire house, um, and I used the wrong paint on our kitchen cabinets. So now I have to rescuff those up and paint those again. So you know, I'm just screwing stuff up. Trying new stuff and uh, coming a Handyman. I learned how to work on my car, too. Put some coilovers and exhaust, sway bars. So I've just been burning a lot of money online and creating projects for myself.
1: Keith, how far did that project did you realize you used the wrong kind of
0: thing? <laughs> I was going to ask.
2: <laughs> um... After I finished the first half of the kitchen and I went to grab a fork out of the drawer and I chipped the paint as I opened it, and I was like, well, I'm either going to have to be really careful every time I touch a drawer or I'm going to be
1: repainting."
2: Sure, wow! I, uh,
0: what have you been doing to keep yourself well busy, paid. Kev?
1: Uh, I mean, you know, from an entertainment perspective, you know, certainly having the Last Dance documentary was amazing. And thank God, from a content perspective, that we had that to talk about and, and kind of uh, have conversation going, if you will. Uh, so that was really nice. Um, I don't know if you guys caught it, but we uh, re-aired the 95-96 postseason run on NBC Sports Chicago and the Last Dance 98 postseason run uh, and catching on those games was uh, was pretty cool, kind of watching those games again. And outside of sports, uh, a lot of Netflix. Um, <laughs> my wife and I, are in the mits, just finished season one of Dark on Netflix, and it's a sci-fi show that's absolutely like it's unreal. Like it's like it blows my mind trying to wrap my head around what's going on in the show, but it's really good. We love Community. Uh, we've been binging that. Uh, we really you know, loved it when it first aired, and just kind of reliving some of those episodes, which. Uh, Honestly, Community is probably for me the most underrated comedy in the last twenty years on TV. Um, It's just it's it's hysterical. Like when it's at its peak, there is it's at the at its absolute best. There's no other comedy on TV that's as funny as it was at its time. Um, And uh, you know, we watched uh, a couple other shows here and there. So you just kind of entertainment wise get by what you what you can get by with. Yeah,
0: I uh, I probably binge watched The Office and Arrested Development about two times over so far Um, and then just because I needed some competitiveness in my life through sports I have now picked up NASCAR (laughs) because it's just something to watch and uh, I've actually been enjoying it a little bit it hasn't been too bad I cracked a beer anybody who has a beer wants to crack one with me go ahead and uh, crack one but yeah I've been doing that the last dance got me through a lot I, I really enjoyed every Sunday night and you know my wife got to watch that with me and she got to like learn a lot about that which was really cool um so i really dug that but i mean that's a perfect segue into our you know in the first question we have for you dude like what were your thoughts on the last dance how it was put together and perceptions of uh the people that were in it such as horace or mj or scotty kraus what would you think of
1: it i mean as a as a 10 episode series it's obviously a pinnacle of sports documentaries right like the production value the interviews not only how the way the interviews were shot, but the inclusion of music from the nineties set to certain montages was, it was perfect. Like the, the music was low key for me. One of the best things about the documentary It was just like the, the use of, in like very hyper specific instances. Like they're talking about Jordan playing in Atlanta and they're playing outcast, right? They're, they're talking about playing a Madison square garden in, in New York for the all-star game. And they're playing Nas. And so, like, the, just the use of music at the perfect time, at the perfect moment with not only the song, but actually, like, even a step further with the artist and where it was from was, like, it was amazing. Like, I absolutely loved it um, in terms of, like, the actual sports part of it and the Bulls part of it. Uh, there was some, obviously some really eye-opening stuff. Like, for me, the two greatest sound bites, I guess, if you will, to come out of it was Horace. Saying the pistons were straight up bitches was amazing. Like, <laughs> yes, it was like, oh my god, Horace, good for you, man. Uh, and then uh, Pippin admitting that he would have done the 1.8 seconds all over again as it happened. Like that, that blew my mind. That that Scotty, all these years later, said, if I had to do it, I would probably do the same thing over again. Um, that that was shocking uh, to me. Uh, overall, it was a kind of it's funny, we, we kind of started the podcast talking about Star Wars, and uh, a lot of Star Wars is uh, fan service, right? Like, it's about servicing the fan and what the fan wants. And I felt like this documentary was a little bit of the same way. Like, it was about servicing the Jordan fan. And from a critical point of view, there was a lot in the documentary that I felt like was intentionally left out uh, because Jordan didn't want it in there. I mean... If you go through it, there isn't too much that is critical of MJ other than his competitive and his desire to win and his treatment of teammates who he felt like weren't on the same level that he was on. Uh, that was the only like true criticism of Michael in the documentary, and I felt like there's probably a lot more story to tell in there. Um, you know, Certainly there were some very powerful moments for me, the section uh, of Steve Kerr. Uh, Steve Kerr's father and, and how that went down was very moving. Uh, certainly, the section of, of James Jordan and his murder was, was a very powerful part of the documentary. Uh, but overall, in the 10 episodes, I'm, I'm glad we got it. But I also kind of critically look at it and be like, there's a lot more that wasn't said. Like, it's interesting that Juanita Jordan wasn't interviewed for this and that we only got less than 30 seconds of, of sound from Michael's kids and like Jeffrey and, and, and Marcus. And I get it because they were kids at the time, but I felt like as a pure documentary, you want to see both sides of things. You want to see the balance of why someone made a choice, you know, like a true crime documentary, if you will. Um, and this felt a lo- little bit more like a fan service documentary. It was amazing. And I, I can't wait to watch it again. Uh, And as an NBA fan and a basketball fan, that team defined an entire generation. So to kind of get the curtain pulled back on a lot of it was really nice. I was hoping for more behind the scenes stuff of that 97, 98 run. And we got a little bit of it. Certainly some of the moments that he had with the security guards um, in his, his private room and some of the stuff with him on the bus and teammates was really cool. Um, but also the interviews were nice. I mean, how many Jordan iPad moments went viral, <laughs> reacting to things like that was awesome. Like him, him reacting to Isaiah saying what he said, re- reacting to Gary Payton saying what he said was awesome, right? Uh, but also we kind of also realize now, even a week and a half later, that Jordan almost certainly lied to in the documentary about not including Isaiah on the Dream Team, and that he quote had nothing to do with it and and, you know there uh, was audio that came out earlier in the week that Jordan admitted to saying I'm not going to play if Isaiah's there and certainly I think there were a lot of players on that team probably had that same request Uh, David Robinson told us a couple weeks ago that Isaiah shouldn't be surprised he wasn't on the dream team because he was a bad boy and embraced the bad boy mentality so when you spend three plus years kicking everybody's ass on the court don't be surprised when they don't want to play with you. And David's right.
0: No, oh, I agree with you. The, we reviewed every episode on the documentary. We didn't get to nine and ten, but pretty much everything you said, I agree with you. To touch back on the Pippin point, that was like one of the heated arguments—not arguments, but disagreements. Uh, Keith and I got into um, about Pip, but it wasn't on that certain topic. It was a—it was a comparison. But we'll—we'll we'll spare you on that. Um, mm. But I was. I felt like Pippin almost said that he would do it again more so pridefully. You know what I mean? Like, not to say that he, like, I feel like he didn't want to say that, you know, he made a mistake. Because, but right before it, he said, yeah, I probably shouldn't. Like, he said along the lines, I probably shouldn't have done that, but I wouldn't do it, you know, I wouldn't do it, or I would do it again. And I was just very surprised by that. You know, Pippin did get a really bad look at moments of this. Um, documentary and then as far as Michael goes yeah I I wanted to see the curtain pulled back on him a little bit more as well and the reason being is because he was he was praised more than anything and you know you had some teammates that were just kind of like about him you know that's just Michael that's just the way he is but you know there had to be a lot more underlying things that were taking place Um, I was under the assumption when it first came out, I didn't think it was going to be a Jordan documentary. I thought it was just going to be about the Bulls. I knew he'd be a huge focal point, if not the focal point, but I didn't realize it would turn into the last dance would just pretty much be about Mike. Um, And then in the underlying tones of it in the background was the team and what they were really accomplishing. Um, You know, Goose, I never got your final thoughts on that either, man. What what did you think in general?
2: Well, well, I'd say my... uh favorite line was probably Ron Harper talking on the Craig Elo (laughs) situation, um, which Elo came out and said Harper never played defense, and he was lying too, but Harp pretty much told the coach, I got MJ, and the coach said, no, I'm going to put Elo on him, and Harper was like, alright, cool, effed his bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Um so that, that that was my favorite line in the documentary. I like that Kevin touched on the music because I felt that that probably was something that won unnoticed by a lot of people, but I felt enhanced the documentary a lot and then the pippin thing i my my last comment on that would be is you have to imagine if it's anybody but Tony Kukoc that the play was drawn for is Scotty on the court um so that, that that's my takeaway from that Scotty segment is if it wasn't Tony that had the play, is he okay with it? Was it because it was Tony and there always was that little void and resentment still that that got to
0: him? That's a good point, man. I never really even thought of it that way. You know, I mean, that was Jerry's boy, and we knew Pip had issues with the front office. I know that, you know, he was unhappy with him. I don't know if he was unhappy at that time with the contract that he had signed because that was 93 or 94, I'm sorry, it was 94, so he might have been. He was a top player, he was an MVP candidate, I mean, you could argue that the he was the second best player in the league behind the the Dream, so you know, another guy I want to touch on, Kevin, and get your thoughts on, who was portrayed in this pod, podcast, I'm sorry, in this docuseries in a negative light for the most part was Jerry Krause. Uh, did you think that criticism was fair?
1: Yeah, I mean, Krause, you know, what doesn't sit really well with me, and it's not anyone's fault per se, but Krauss couldn't defend himself in this documentary, right? Like, you know, if everything is equal and Krauss is alive today, Krauss is interviewed for this documentary and he gives his side of the story. And so the fact that he wasn't able to be interviewed for this for obvious reasons is is tough because you certainly get Jerry Reinsdorf and, and a couple other people. And it was nice to see Pippen in episode 10, give Krauss credit. Right. And, and, you know, I think he said that you had the greatest GM, uh, in basketball with the greatest team, the greatest player and greatest coach. And yes, that's absolutely the greatest player. I mean, that's absolutely true. So it was nice to see Pippen give Krauss a little bit of credit at the end when certainly a large part of it, of their relationship was very contentious regarding the contract. Um, Certainly with how it ended and and the team winning a title and then, you know, you, obviously every the team's blown up and, and what happened the following year in that offseason. Uh, Kraus deserves a lot of blame for that. But Kraus also deserves a lot of credit for not drafting Michael because he didn't draft Michael, but everything else. And he you know, they, they don't win six titles if Kraus doesn't make a lot of the moves. That he makes, right? Like if, if Kraus doesn't trade for Kerr or sign coach, do they win six titles? I'm not sure that they do. Um, he f- was able to smartly recognize not only before the first title and the, the value of getting Bill Cartwright on the team, but throughout that entire 9-10 uh, season run of, of kind of dominance that they had. just getting the right mix of players. And, you know, certainly a a huge part of being a general manager basketball team is finding the right pieces that fit with Michael. And so, and Scotty, and they did that, you know, like the thing is they won six titles, but there were only two players who were constant across those six title teams. And so it's not like a dynasty that kept the same six or seven players intact for the entire run. There's only two players. And so, when you have that much player movement and the players that work, when you have Paxson and then Paxson 2.0 in Steve Kerr, when you have Kukoc and you have Horace Grant, and then you have Dennis Rodman, which certainly at the time, I don't think there's many people who were in favor of the Dennis Rodman trade when it went down during that time. Certainly there were people that were skeptical of it, including Jordan and uh, probably Phil. And so like, these are all, moves that jerry Krause made and Krause deserves credit for so i think he probably didn't get enough credit for the what happened but clearly there was not a healthy relationship between Krause and a lot of the players specifically michael and scotty you know i mean we see it we saw many times in the documentary uh, whether it was teasing in a playful way or teasing in a mean way of of pippen and jordan giving Krause a hard time Uh, there, there clearly was a lack of respect there uh, between that that uh, you know that trio, and you know Kraus, but deserves a lot of blame for what happened too. Like if, if Kraus is fired in 1998, uh, and Jerry Reinsdorf says Phil, I want you back. Does Phil come back? You know, I am mean, only Phil can answer that question. But you know, certainly Phil wasn't going to come back with Kraus still there, and Michael wasn't going to come back if Phil wasn't there. And so when you take those pieces away and the one constant you have is Kraus, then, you know, yeah, he deserves some blame for it.
0: Agreed with that. I, I do agree with pretty much everything you said there. I think that's a good segue into the next question here. Um, obviously, few few statements during the docuseries that Jerry Krauss had made is uh, not only to validate himself, I think he was proud of himself, I think he was proud of his players as well for winning these championships, but he says front offices build good teams. And going into present day... You know the Bulls had made crazy changes since the season was suspended due to COVID-19. Were you surprised to see the Bulls dive in headfirst and revamp their front office so quickly, and br- by bringing in Nortoris and Mark Eversley
1: and, and and these guys? Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised to see it happen that fast. Uh, certainly, the unexpected. Uh, hiatus pause to the NBA season, um, you know, gave them the opportunity to do this. But I'm still, when it, when it happened, and when uh, Michael Reinsdorf moved so quickly on it, I, I was a little surprised by it, but in a good way, uh, because I figured you know, they would do like the Knicks are doing; they would just like take their time and wait until the official off season to do it. Uh, but they they, and being Michael, smartly recognized that we're in a historic pandemic globally that is going to impact specifically the NBA, not this this season, but next season, potentially the next three or four or five seasons uh, with how the cap applications are and you know, what could happen there. And I, I think Michael Reinsdorf recognized that there may not be a normal offseason. And if the NBA, for some reason, decides that they want to start play again in mid to late October like they normally are, which I don't think is going to happen, but let's hypothetically say they were going to, and that they were going to cram in an offseason into two months to four months or three months, um, that would make it very difficult to get everything done they wanted to get done in terms of the sweeping changes that they wanted to do. And so uh, I'm surprised by it, but in a good way. I, I think what uh, has been done has given Bulls fans uh, hope for this organization again. I mean, when you have uh, the same front office intact for 17 years, that's uh, tough. It's tough when you don't win a title to give him that much time, and I think John Paxson recognized that it was time for him to move on. And I think when he expressed that, uh, which apparently happened last fall, uh, to to Michael, and they decided to you know make changes, they went about it very quickly. Uh, I've been really impressed with everything that I've seen and heard from uh, Arteris Karnashovas and Mark Eversley, uh, both of them. Uh, I love everything they've done so far from. Investing in the player development side, investing in the front office a little bit more, bringing a bigger front office, or making a change, uh, whether it's deservedly or not, making a change to the training staff, I think was the right move to make as well. 100 percent agree. Uh, and, and certainly, you know, the the next uh, decision that has to be made is going to be about Jim Boylan and the coaching staff's future, and I, I think I think that decision will wait until the true off season. Um, You know, whenever that may be. Uh, But, you know, so far we've seen sweeping changes across the entire organization. And I'm actually very, very happy that they went with someone in uh, Karnaschovas outside of the Bulls family, because if you think back to, gosh, the last 40 years in this organization, uh, they tend to lean towards former Bulls are people who have eyes with the bulls, uh, like Doug Collins, uh, for advice. And I, I was really nice to see that in this move, they decided to go completely outside the organization. And that's, you know, it, it's obviously just paper changes. The roster itself is the exact same, uh, that we had, you know, two and a half months ago, uh, when the old regime was still intact, but I'm very encouraged from what I've seen, what I've heard from and what I've read from the individuals so far.
0: Yeah, I, I can't speak well, for goose here, but for me, and I I, th- I think I can't well, I know his opinion really well. You know, we've been friends for about three years now, but I was not a uh I was not against Gar up until the Boylan extension. I thought that they had built a nice core. I, I, I did see the promise in um Zach Levine and Lowry Markinen and uh though we were a little discouraged, was that the Wendell Carter Jr. draft? Goose when we were there and we were like dang it <laughs> uh, I think it was that year because we wanted, who did we want? We wanted MPJ or Bomba, right? Is that who we were calling for?
2: Yeah, I mean, we were chanting Luca, we were chanting MPJ, we were chanting just about everybody but Wendell Carter Jr. To be honest with you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I thought so. I mean, we were alcohol driven too. We had a couple in us, but it was a <laughs> great it was a great time at the Bulls draft party. I'll tell you that right now. But I, I didn't get upset until they had said that Boylan had that extension during the uh, during the summer. I believe that was. And, you know, it just kind of, I don't know, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Um, I, I just didn't think that they were doing the due diligence for their young players just because of all the reports that had come out. I did think that change was probably good. But, you know, I never try to carry the flag. I always try to look at things objectively as well because I like to put out content that's appealing to everybody. You always look at it in a certain way. You know, you, you always want to give two sides to each coin, man. So that's, that's just the way I was looking at it. But when they brought in AK, I, I was very shocked by the outside hire. I was very pleased with the outside hire um, and I, I'm very, I'm looking forward to, to what he can do. And, and and that's something that I think a lot of bulls fans are very excited for goose. I want to get your opinion on it too, before we move into the next question.
2: Well, the irony of us talking about Channing MPJ is our tourists had a hand in taking the risk on MPJ in Denver, I believe with the 14th pick right at the end of the lottery there. Um, So we now have a front office intact that built a team in Denver that doesn't have a G League system. The Bulls have players like Bowl Bowl and a couple of their two-way players in the Windy City Bulls system because Denver doesn't have their own G League team. You look at the Denver organization, and from top to bottom, they they have too much talent, that they don't even know what to do with it. So the signing of Arturis was extremely encouraging for me, and then the following um, of Mark Eversley, who— Has had his hands in a lot of interesting builds as well. Uh, So I think we got two, you know, yin and yang minds there that are going to balance each other out in that office. And I, I think Jim's days are numbered. If the season continues, I'll think that, you know, they'll give Jerry Reinsdorf his wish and they'll let Jim coach the last 17 games. Or if they play in a small play in situation, they'll give him that opportunity to finish the season just to say, hey, we gave him a shot. Right. Um, but outside of that, his his demise is coming in the off season. With uh, that said, though, how do you feel um, Gar and Pax retreated? Do you think they got the shit end of the stick here? Do you think a couple years down the road, if AK and Mark turn this situation that they were left with into something, that Gar and Pax will get any credit Or do you think it's just going to be fire guard packs till the end?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. We could do a three-hour podcast if we graded every move that that duo has made over the last 15, 17 years, right? I mean, you know, certainly there's a lot of history there. Um, Let's start at the end, though. I I think it was time for a change for both individuals to to part ways. Certainly, uh, Gar is... Um, you know, not going to be involved in any way. Uh, I am fine. A hundred percent fine with Paxson being a consultant slash advisor. Um, he is somebody that still, you know, has a lot of experience in the league as, as, a player and a member of the front office. And if, if, uh, Eversley or Karnashovas wants to reach out to Paxson to ask them his opinion on something, I've got no problem with that at all. Uh, I don't have an issue with that, but it was time for those guys to go. I mean, certainly, if you look at back at the totality of what you want from any front office, and this isn't just specific to Garn packs, any front office, all you can ask them to do is to build and give you a championship caliber team. You cannot ask a front office to win a title. You, You can't do that because there are way too many factors that go into it. All you can do is ask a front office to put an organization in place to potentially win a title with enough talent with the, the support system around them to win a title. And quite honestly, I thought that this team organization did that in 2010, 2011 and 2012. I mean, they, they put together the right pieces and, you know, we could debate this for, for years, but I am fully convinced that if Derek Rose doesn't tear his ACL, this Bulls team wins an NBA title. And so if, if, if that doesn't happen, then who knows what, what happens the next three or four or five years after that. But all you can do as a front office is, is put the right players out there. And, and they did that with Derek and Joakim and Taj and Luol and so on and so on. Right? And, and and even when they went through the semi-Derek uh, injury years with bringing Pal Gasol in, which was a two-time All-Star when he was here, was a great move. I mean, it's certainly they still potentially could have beaten lebron at that time with cleveland they should have beat cleveland that year david black calls a phantom timeout they don't call i honestly believe they win that series and then who knows what happens at that point um, but they put they put this organization in position to win a title it didn't happen but then you get to the later years and they had a stretch of 5 years in a row in which they just quite frankly drafted very poorly i mean they it's it's ironic because they had a stretch of five years in which they hit on every draft. And we're talking about Joaquim, Derek, Taj, Jimmy Butler. Like, we're talking about, like, hitting home runs at the end of the first round, right? And they, they did it. They were awesome. But then they had this stretch of drafting Marcus Teague and Tony Snell and the Doug McDermott trade. And, like, we're talking just picks that just absolutely didn't work out. And they went through another rebuild very small rebuild with the, the three alphas era. And that didn't work out for many reasons. Uh, and then we got to the, another rebuild with what the era we're in now. Um, I thought it was time to go what, what the change they made. And certainly there's a lot of fan anger towards Garn packs, and they wanted them out. And we all know about the the billboards and the chance and then all-star weekend here in Chicago was really good for the NBA. It was not very good for the bulls. Uh, in February, which honestly at this point feels like a lifetime ago, uh, even though it was only, what, five months ago, uh, for three months, four months ago. Uh, but honestly, it, it, I'm glad that the, the change was made, and I think it's good for everybody involved that they did this. Uh, but if you overall look at the entire tenure, not too many front offices get 17 years in place without winning a title. So it's 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 frustrating because I, I think, as you guys probably are the same line that uh, we felt like those Derrick Rose years, those prime years, um, that they could have won a title uh, at that time. And, you know, it's a shame it didn't happen, but uh, it's time to time to turn the page and, and move on to the Mark Eversley and uh, Karnashova era.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I want to just point on one thing that you said. I get attacked constantly on Twitter when I say that I think the 2011-2012 Chicago Bulls could have won an NBA title with Rip Hamilton as their starting shooting guard. I say that constantly and I, and that was a shortened season. I know Derek had injuries that season besides the ACL, but I mean, he was still Derek was still Derek and I thought he was just getting better. Um, And I, I take a lot of crap for that constantly that I, I say that I think he, they could have got past the heat. I truly believe that. I still do believe it. That team was special,
1: you know? I, I'm with you. I mean, I a hundred percent agree with you. I mean, uh, like, listen, Rip Hamilton, you don't need the guy to go out there and score 25 points a game. That's not what you needed from at the time. He played the role he needed to play. Um, I absolutely believe that they win the title that year and they get, I mean, I, listen, I get Miami was a really strong team and there are a lot of people believe that, that they could never get past LeBron, no matter if Derek Rose was healthy or not, but they had the best record in the regular season that year for a reason. That was in a shortened season. Uh, they, they, Honestly, in my heart, I believe they would have gotten past Miami, and they would have won the title that year if Derrick Rose doesn't get hurt. But it's a it's a, it's a potential what if that there's no, like, no one's going to have an answer to. There's no one's going to be able to convince me otherwise, and I can't convince people that don't believe it either.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that statement. The only way we can relive it is through 2K. <laughs> so, you know. But I I definitely agree with that, man. That year always just gets to me because you know Rip was just—I mean—a massive upgrade over Keith Bogans, and people don't realize that there was a stretch in the 2010-2011 MVP year for Derrick Rose where, when Keith Bogans had scored more than six points, the Bulls had lost like two games out of forty-six. You know how insane that stat is? Yeah, that's unbelievable. That's just a little bit—a little bit tiny more offensive help, and. You know, I, it's just unbelievable to me. But uh, moving on, uh, what do you expect from Arturis? I mean, you know, he's he's coming in. He he has a, a great team in Denver. I mean, you know, you have Jokic, Harris. You have so many good players over there. Jamal Murray. I mean, I feel like he has a good core here. I can kind of, you know, uh, put this question into another question. You know, what do you think Arturis can do with this currently constructed roster in the Eastern Conference. I mean, do you think that he can work with it or do you think it's going to have to be not necessarily complete teardown but trading off some of the high assets that we do have?
1: I mean, they have some really good players, right? And and they have clearly a very young roster with most of those players having potential, right? And the think is about potential. Like do we truly know how good Kobe White's going to be in his career? Uh, how good wendell or larry is going to be in in their careers no but there's potential there um and and so in the short term i don't expect much uh from the the new front office and the reason being is they don't have very much roster flexibility uh unless otto porter is insane and declines his player option for next year which he is going to pick up for next year it's something for like 28 million and he'd be crazy especially given the current environment not to pick that up um, they don't have any roster flexibility they're not going to have any any cap space uh, in free agency they've got two restricted free agents they've got to make decisions on in uh, Denzel Valentine and Chris Dunn um, which I don't I don't see both of them returning. I, I potentially I potentially could see Chris Dunn coming back on the the right contract maybe for the mid level right. um, but at the same time unless they do a trade, which is certainly a possibility, and their most tradable assets are probably Zach Levine, Wendell, and Kobe White uh, right now. Uh, but at the same time, I don't see them coming in to this situation, deciding to completely blow it up before really getting a good sense of, of who they have in these players. I, I would be quite frankly shocked if at some point in the offseason or on draft night – that they would trade one of the the core four players on this team. I, I just I just don't see it happening. I think what's going to happen is they'll sign a veteran uh, using the mid level in the off season. They'll probably try and bring in some more shooting, which they they badly need on this team. Uh, and, and I think they'll go into next season as an evaluation season. Uh, once they get to the summer of 2021, that's when you'll see significant change to this roster uh based on who they believe they can move forward with and just based on the cap space they're gonna have at the time because you're gonna have a poor coming off the books uh i believe um let's see who else is coming off felicio. the books right now felicio felicio's off the books at that time thank god uh so they're gonna have significant cap space in cool. 2021 so um in the short term, no. I, I don't see a lot of roster flexibility. I don't see major changes coming in the next three or four months for this team. Uh, but I, I do see it coming a year from now.
0: You know what, Kevin? I, I, have, to, I, I have to comment on that real quick, and I know Goose is going to jump in after. But how are you saying thank God about getting rid of Big Chris? That guy
2: is <laughs> that guy is
0: something else, all right? You, yeah, the, the work and the dedication. I, you know, I really wish Tibbs had him. Because I would just love to hear Tibbs screaming "Work!" down the court
1: <laughs> to him. I mean, honestly, would you like to see Jordan be teammates with please <laughs> I think it would be compelling television. I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. Um, um, like the thing is, what's i what's ironic about this? Chris is a good dude, man. Well, like, I'm sure he's a really nice guy. Uh, I've had a chance to talk with him a few times, and he's been like fantastic to talk to. Very down to earth, very chill. Um, it just hasn't hasn't worked out for him on the court. Um, And and clearly the, and it's not his thing. The thing is it's never a player's fault that an organization signs them to a bad deal. Absolutely. Agreed. It's, it's not, it's not Chris's fault that he got 40 million. Like it's, it's not, Um, it's the organization's fault that they overvalued him and overvalued what his potential could be. And that's, that's the, that's the risk any front office takes when they give a four year deal uh, to a player that it has not really proven themselves, you're you're basically paying them off potential, um, and they were paying Felicio off of like two months of serviceable basketball and said you're going to be a great backup center in this league. Uh, we need we need <laughs> to sign you up and lock you up, and it clearly just hasn't turned out that way. So uh, I appreciate you being a Felicio Stan. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's probably best for all parties involved that that next summer they don't resign him. I agree with that. Goose, did you want to touch on that
0: topic at all?
2: Yeah, I want to touch on that real quick just because (laughs) um, I I guess, yeah, if you are going to pay somebody $8 million a year to be a G League player, I'm glad that it went to a genuinely good person like Cristiano Felicio. Um, That being said, even heading into this offseason – Cristiano Felicio should be waived or bought out for the roster spot for any other minimum contract to anybody that will fill that seat on the bench better. Uh, well, I mean, they, get him so out of could, here.
1: They could stretch his contract, wave him and stretch him, uh, but then you're taking a smaller cap hit in 2021.
2: Oh, no, I, I, don't, I don't even want to wave and stretch him. I just want to straight up wave him or give him his seven-point whatever he's owed next year to just give us the roster spot. Just get, get him, him off the team. In the the roster through. spot, exactly. The the roster spot will be worth more than Felicio, and maybe that roster spot goes to our second that isn't our own because that went to the Wizards for Sato. We have one from Memphis, which I believe is at 47th. So maybe that player actually gets a contract on the team, and we, we get Felicio. Okay.
1: There you go.
0: Uh, We're all thinking here, man. All right, well, getting into our last few questions here, Kev. I mean, everybody in Bulls Twitter knows who you are, man. You know, you're a great follow. Um, You know, that's how me and you got hooked up was from Twitter, just, you know, talking ideas about Bulls and just, you know, having a good conversation. But how did you become a Bulls fan? You know, if you've never been asked that on a podcast before, if you have, I'm sorry, I must have missed it. But I I just want to know, how did you become a Bulls fan?
1: that's, That's a good question. So I'll start by answering how I became a basketball fan. Um, and that's by because of Magic Johnson. Um, you know, I, I grew up and I fell in love with the game of basketball, watching the Lakers on national TV, uh, which was CBS at the time in the 80s um, and watching Magic play uh, like what Magic did on the court was it was like watching an artist like it was it was poetry out there. Just, just what he was able to do. At his size, passing his court vision, um, like it, it just—I like, was—I was mesmerized by it, and I fell in love with the, the game of basketball and the game, kind of beyond the ball, from watching Magic and the Lakers play. So I—I'm I, from the East Coast. I'm from Maryland. I Grew up uh, outside, Annapolis, which is, uh, you know, near Baltimore, DC, in that uh, Maryland corridor there, and, and I, I actually grew up a Lakers fan because of that. Um the Bullets at the time, which as most people know were formerly the the, the Wizards. They uh, used to be named the Bullets, uh, did not have very good teams at the time. And I really wasn't into watching them, but I'd I'd watch Magic play. Magic was awesome. Um and so I, I kind of grew up a Lakers fan. Uh right. and certainly, you know, you get into when he retired uh, suddenly November seventh, nineteen ninety one, which was kind of one of those like like shocking moments of my childhood, right? was when was he announced he was HIV positive and retired suddenly. Um, and I'll never forget that day. And, you know, then there was kind of like this void in my basketball fandom because I, I was a Magic Johnson and a Lakers fan, and all of a sudden that was over. And then they, the Lakers weren't going to be on national TV as much, certainly, uh, with Magic not there. And, and who was there to fill the void? Michael. Michael and the Bulls. And so I, I started in the 90s it, like, watching that, that dynasty in that era. And that, that's how I ended up becoming a Bulls fan. And then certainly when I came to Chicago in 2004, um, when you co- it's, it's interesting working in the media. Um, and when you cover a team and you're constantly reading about them and interviewing players and watching literally every single interview, any player does, behind the scenes for our production or our show with, you know, Comcast Sportsman at the time, 2004, you start to kind of like naturally develop an affinity uh, for that team. And, and so it really wasn't, I'd say the nineties bulls, I liked the bulls, but it wasn't until the Scott Stiles era and Vinny Del Negro era bulls that I like fell in love with the team just because I was covering them all the time and, and watching interviews and watching every single game. Like I don't, like I don't miss a game. Like, a, you know, I kind of plan my my schedule around, as most, I think, you guys do around when the Bulls are playing. And so my work schedule is if the Bulls are playing, I'm working. And, and so I, I, I rarely miss a single minute of any broadcast unless there's something pressing I need to attend to at work. Um, I don't miss any game. And so, you know, kind of with that, it, it's just I fell in love with basketball because of magic. And then that kind of got furthered with Michael. In uh, Scotty and that the dynasty team in the '90s, and then certainly moving to Chicago in 2004, and then just kind of covering the team uh, in the last uh, 16 years, and, and from there, so that's that's kind of how I developed my fandom is kind of just being around and that team uh, over the last decade and a half.
0: You know, Goose, I want to ask you the same question, man, because I, I, I mean, I know you're from the area just like I am. We're both, you know, Chicago kids. Uh, I'm South Side. That's where I, where I grew up until we moved out to the Southwest Burbs. But, Goose, how did you become a Bulls fan, man? Just Jordan era probably sold you on it, I'm sure.
2: Grew up in Chicago. Uh, grew up during the 90s. Used to run around friends' basements, listening to the Bulls championship soundtrack, want to be like Mike, playing ball tag, playing basketball. Just grew up with Jordan posters on the wall. It was all it was as a kid. So uh, my vivid memories of the games, exactly, you know, from five, six, seven in the second run, there aren't, you know, too <laughs> vivid there. But the nostalgia's there, and I've I've rewatched it all. And I the, the funniest thing I remember for being a kid is wanting to shave my head and being bald, and my dad just looked at me and he's like, son. People don't do that unless they have to. I, I can't let you do that. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, that was uh, getting closer to 30-year-old with a uh, receding hairline. I'm like, you're right. You, you really don't do that. So, no, I mean, just being in Chicago growing up in that era, um, it's it's my favorite team. It's my favorite sport. I was never the greatest basketball player. Baseball was more my niche, but, In terms of a passion and a love just for the game itself, it's 100% basketball.
1: You know what's interesting about, like, fandoms is there's an entire generation of Bulls fans that are fans because of Derrick Rose, right? Like, they never saw Michael play live. Like, their introduction to Jordan was from The Last Dance and kind of, you know, seeing arguments made on Twitter over LeBron versus Jordan and all that stuff. Um, Like, there's an entire era of fans who are fans because of you know, a kid from Inglewood. And so that's been kind of cool to see, because I, I think that's important to have, like, you can't have an entire generation of fans going, man, the 85 Bears or something, weren't they? You know, like, you, at some point, you need to have a new team that's going to kind of define a generation. And, you know, we, we got that with Derek a little bit, even though it was a lot shorter than we had wanted. But it, it's kind of cool to see the Different dynamics of the the generations of fandoms.
0: Oh, absolutely, man. My my little brothers grew up being Bulls fans because of that reason alone. They loved Derrick Rose. You know, I mean they didn't get to see Jordan. And, you know, they're they're younger. They're my half brothers, but they're I mean, they're younger. They're you know, uh they didn't get to see Jordan play at all. Like the way that I became a Bulls fan, it's it's a funny and kinda weird story at the same time. I I grew up with my dad. It was just me and him. And uh, we lived in a one-bedroom trailer in Blue Island, Illinois, until he was able to save up enough money to get us into a, a southwest suburb called New Lenox. And um, he, we, even though we lived in that trailer with one bedroom and no air conditioning, my God, we had Bears and Bulls season tickets. Like, that, w- that was the priority, you know? So I actually got to attend a finals game not only in 97, but also in 98, I was six and seven years old at the time. I was born in '91, and then I fell in love with basketball. I played basketball growing up. Um, You know, I played baseball as well, but I played basketball growing up, and I fell in love with uh, Allen Iverson after Jordan was gone. And you know, he was just captivating. You know, I I loved AI. And Kevin, this is where I tie it kind of back into you when you say you got into the Bulls, and Keith is gonna absolutely love this. I, I know he is. Scott Skiles being the head coach with one of the best players on that team, one of the undoubtable. Bulls Goats, Kirk Heinrich is what drug me back in to being a huge Bulls fan. You know, Kirk, B G, you know, Luwal, uh, gosh, Tyson Chandler, Eddie Curry when they were when they were around, you know. I mean it that was what kind of drew me back in and being like a huge not that I was a Philadelphia 76ers fan, I kinda took your your thing here is where I liked AI so much and I came back to the Bulls and like, you know, as a diehard and 0304, you know, just getting into seventh, eighth grade. And I've been riding ever since, no matter what. And uh, Keith, I, I do you want to touch on that about how Kirk Heinrich's the goat, one of the goats do you want to, you want to get on that or no, you good.
2: Uh, I mean, <laughs> Ben Gordon was more the guy for me during that period of my life as a Bulls fan. Uh, but like Kevin said, the Rose impact uh, was really big for me too, because I had lost my dad around the time to cancer and those bulls playoff runs were a, a big escape for me to just take my mind off of everything and kind of just relax. Absolutely. So, I know my, my love and, for the bulls runs deep and I'm glad to hear that I'm the only one that's only been a bulls fan forever. Just just no no cutoffs, no Allen Iverson as much as I love them, just just bulls. Yeah. What's
1: interesting Keith is you're right about like, the importance of sports, right? Like it, it is and I think that's one of the things that's been kind of so hard about these last two and a half months with not having games. And, like, I get it. Like, Listen, people's lives have been completely upended. We've got an unemployment rate of north of 20 million. Um, and it, it's it's hard. Like, it's been everybody's going through it in different ways. It's difficult for people living alone. It's because they're isolated. It's difficult for families with kids who are all of a sudden – homeschooling while they're trying to work from home at the same time it's difficult with people with elderly relatives because they're trying to like literally keep them safe and not getting this and then likely dying and so like this everything's been difficult for in different ways for everybody over the last two and a half months and that's where like sports like just offers this this kind of escape and I, I feel like if we can get games in even with no fans in the middle of disney world wherever they're playing like it's, it's going to mean a lot to a lot of people
0: oh absolutely man i i agree with that sentiment 100 percent. you know it's it's just a it, for the everyday person you know sports are just such a great escape and it brings people together too you know i mean it brings a lot of people against each other don't get me wrong but it brings people together too which is is absolutely fantastic uh we got uh, you know two more questions for you kevin um I, I I wanted to ask this one cuz this is a mutual friend of ours. This is a guy that uh Keith and I have hung out with multiple times. Um talked to. He's been on the show, I mean, a lot, a lot a lot. Um and that's C Red Fred. I just wanted to oh,
1: I wanted to get you... over, C Red Fred. Well, I'm sorry. What was that? Fellow Kirk Heinrich lover, see so Red Fred, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fred, Fred's always
0: like he will go out of his way to tag me in something like where someone's talking trash about Kirk. He will go out of his way to be like, "Hey, Buzz, check it out." I'm like, "Okay, okay, bud." But uh, <laughs> I have to ask because I'm gonna send a soundbite to. What do you think about Fred's optimism constantly? I mean, do you? <laughs> he's got to be the super fan. He's never like he he hit a little rough patch there during the the regular season, but then he came out probably about two two days later as the, the Leviathan was rising again. So I just wanted to get your opinion on C-Red Fred's optimism.
1: He's constantly seeing the number seven everywhere. I mean, he he <laughs> like he must like wake up in the middle of the night and just like see the light shine on his bedroom wall and the number seven shows up. Like he, he's constantly seeing the number seven everywhere. Uh, Fred, here's – I've done multiple podcasts with Fred. We've talked – Many times he's a really good dude. Um, I don't think he's as optimistic as everybody thinks he is. And the reason I say that is that there have been times and it's been difficult for any Bulls fan in the last two or three years uh, to to keep the faith, if it will. Uh, But he's at times been very pessimistic about certain aspects uh, of the organization from the uh, coach to certain players as well. Um, I admire his optimism. Uh, I know it's like completely the opposite of like what Matt Peck brings to the table with like Bulls Outsiders and Locked On because Matt and uh, I think uh, C. Red Fred are like the two opposite sides of a coin uh, sometimes with their Bulls fandom. Um I admire what Fred gives for optimism. I wish he'd be a little bit more realistic at times. I, I think, I think uh, they're not always going to win a seventh title mm-hmm. every seventh season after they get the seventh pick. So, uh, but you know what? Part of being a bulls fan is having the ability to love your team and be critical of your team. But at the same time, we all want the team to win. And so that's the great thing about being a fan of anything, right? Like, especially in sports is, one person could think the quarterback is awful. One person could think the quarterback is great. You still want the team to win. You still want the bears to win. So uh, that's kind of just to me, what a great part of being a fan is. And, and Fred is the embodiment of a true bulls fan.
0: That That's fantastic answer. I, I love Fred. And I know, I know Keith does too. They did, I've done a a lot of Chicago bullseye podcasts with Fred and, Got to hang out with him about three or four times since I've known him from Twitter and he's just a great guy. I love his optimism. And sometimes I can't help myself but jump in when he's getting attacked by all the pessimist Bulls fans just to just to give that lending hand, but then he'll usually smite Kirk Heinrich and I I end up walking out. But uh
1: <laughs> Are you aware right of the bet he lost to Matt Peck about and what the what he was using?
0: I know they had a bet. But I I knew that he had a bet also with uh, Mark from Australia. I know he had a bet with him as well, like where he had to wear a jersey. But I'm not sure about the one that he. I think it was something about finishing 500 or making the playoffs with Peck, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, he. It was either like a certain win total. I know he's lost it and he's got no way to recover it. Even if <laughs> the bowl it was 17 and 0, and they ended up playing the rest of the games, so he still can't win. Um, I think you're right. I think it was at the 500 mark. Um, but Matt Peck has the ability to ban Fred from Twitter for one month. And it's up to Matt to choose what month he's going to ban Fred. And he's like, he's Matt said to me that he's not going to like let Fred know ahead of time. He's just going to say, okay, you're off Twitter for a month. So I don't know why Fred would make that bet. It seems like something that was a little too, too risky for someone that does podcasts and then relies uh, on Twitter for some promotion. But Uh, It's unfortunate that uh, Fred lost that bet. I think, again, in this case, I think Fred let let his optimism get to him a little bit and was just too wildly excited for the upcoming bowl season and for them to finish with 41 wins, which is just just way more than I think anyone even was even hopeful to. But, yeah, so sometime in the next few months, uh, you're not going to see Fred on Twitter for about 30 days.
0: We all know that we're going to see a C-Red Ted Burner account come up, right? (laughs)
1: <laughs> sea red frederick or something you know yeah, yes
0: that's definitely gonna happen but kevin man i i thank you so much for joining us here on bulls on tap today uh you know we're huge fans of you I love you man i really appreciate your time uh just if just in case i'm sure everybody listening to this does already know but just in case they don't plug your twitter plug the site plug the podcasts and even talk about that podcast that debuted today um if you don't mind Um, So everybody can get get an ear on it and uh, check it out.
1: Yeah, so uh, number one, thank you for having me guys on. Uh, I really appreciate it. I love talking basketball. I love talking bowls. So anytime uh, you want me on, just reach out to me. We'll we'll set up a time. Um, Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Kevin underscore NBCS. Uh, Pretty easy to find there. Um, I am, uh, in terms of like what I do, a lot of people ask me, what exactly do you do? Um, I am a uh, manager of studio content. I'm also in charge of the Bulls content team here at NBC Sports Chicago. So there's really nothing that goes on from the Bulls that I'm not aware of or hear about or find out about. Um, we have a really cool podcast that debuted today being Thursday, Uh, That is a NBC Sports nationwide initiative. This isn't just coming from Chicago. This is actually a nationwide initiative from NBC Sports um, overall. And it's called Sports Mm -hmm. Uncovered. And it's a new documentary podcast series, which episode one dropped today. And episode one happened to be produced by us here in Chicago. And the entire podcast is centered around Jordan's return in 1995. And we've all heard the story of I'm back and facts in the first game against the Pacers. And what a spectacle that entire week-long stretch was. Uh, But there is some amazing interviews within the Sports Uncovered podcast that people have never heard before. Uh, To give you an example, Chris Mullen and Tim Hardaway, who obviously most people know as being part of the Warriors Greats. Mullen was on the Dream Team with MJ in 92. Uh, Mullen Hardaway revealed that Jordan spent several days practicing with the Golden State Warriors before coming back in 1995, before making his decision to come back in 1995. And so the Sports Uncovered podcast tells the story of how that came about and which player on the Warriors at the time Jordan specifically said, do not put him on my team because he wanted to go at him and practice every single day. Uh, And so Don Nelson confirmed everything with us uh, over this as well. It's a fantastic podcast that uh, Ryan McGuffey and Tony Gill uh, produced. Um, I I highly encourage you to listen to it because there is some stuff in this podcast, being a Jordan fan, being a basketball fan that I'd never heard before. Uh, So I I highly encourage everybody to check that out. just do a search for Sports Uncovered uh, NBC and you'll find it. Um, and go to our website nbsportchicago.com and you'll find it as well so it's it's pretty good stuff it's awesome
0: man and again thank you so much for joining us uh, everybody be sure to go to on tapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs checking us out on twitter at bullsontap at ontapsportsnet following my dude goose at bullscripted following me at buzzontap and following kevin underscore mbcs hope you enjoyed this episode we'll be back next time thank you all for listening go bulls